This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about spoons. And let me tell you. This one goes all <laughs> over the place. So, so delightful. So many places. Uh, I mean, I I kind of knew it was going to be weird going into it. And then I realized that I had not allotted myself enough time for all of the weirdness. Like, there are just so many little pockets of weird. Oh, yes, there are. Um, <laughs> and we're going to touch on a lot of them, but... I was shocked by a lot of like, <laughs> oh, I didn't realize this was such a big deal or oh, I didn't realize that this was a whole thing. <laughs> Spoons. Spoons, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I believe I've told this story before, but spoons, uh, specifically plastic spoons, got banned in my high school because we had a game we played called Spoons. Uh, where the goal was to sneak a spoon, a plastic spoon, onto somebody's person without them realizing. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Uh-huh. And it got so out of control. One time I came home and I took off this jacket and you could hear the clattering of spoons. Like spoons in my hood, <laughs> spoons in my pocket, spoons in like the little buttonholes. Wow. And we had a teacher who was a very prim southern lady uh, and one of our 
fellow students uh, was able to sneak a spoon into her earring. Oh my and goodness! One into her uh, collar. What? And she was like, "We're putting an end to this right now." Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and that there is was a, so weird. I know. I don't know how it started, uh, but there was a shortage of spoons because this was rampant. <laughs> like everybody was doing it, uh, <laughs> and you would get like extra points for if you could get them like in certain in certain places, like especially near their head, like anything right. Near, near. That was the the cream of the crop. I was a mediocre. I was okay, but I was definitely not the top of the game. <laughs> All right. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, <don't>, I... <laughs> I would love to know if any other listeners like has anything like this. Again, I don't know how it started. I have my theories. Huh. Um, yeah, no, we certainly classmates. we certainly did not in my high school. That is not something that we got up to. <laughs> That I'm aware I mean, of. Maybe there was a whole other <laughs> subculture of spoons. Um, I don't the know. Spoon subculture. It was <laughs> it was wild. Like you would. I remember I would go home. I'd like open my lunchbox and just spoons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one does have this topic. Does have a lot of fun cultural offshoots. Sure. Um, I was just thinking before this of the movie Mimic, which terrified me. Uh. I've watched it since I've I've been older, uh, and it's not as scary. But when I was a kid, oof, terrifying. Oh, yeah. But there's this scene with spoons in there that stuck with me, I will say. Oh, huh. I do not. Mm-hmm. I, I have not seen that movie in a very long time. If you're curious, listeners, Mimic is a movie about big cockroaches. Um, it scared me a lot as a kid. Uh, I could not sleep at night for a week. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, there's also Spoons the Card Game, which I loved playing with my cousins. Um, Spoons the Poem? The Poems? I vaguely remember this. I'm sure someone will write in. But it was in high school we read about all these poems in Spoonbill or something. Um, anyway. And then The Matrix, of course. Uh, a spoon. There is no spoon. As, there is no spoon. Says. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah, the... The other one that came to me off the top of my head was Spoon, <laughs> which is a reference to the tick, if if you have no idea what's going on. Oh, I played the tick video game, but I don't remember. That's, it's, it's his like, like, like battle cry. Ah, good one. A good yeah. battle cry indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Very intimidating. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and you can see our past episodes on sporks, forks, and chopsticks. Yeah, yeah. I, um, Annie and I, I, I thought, oh man, have we done spoons yet? And checked, and then suggested the topic, and then Annie proceeded to check because mm-hmm. <laughs> we got burnt with forks. We, both we did started to do it, and then we remembered. <laughs> oh wait, because <laughs> I, it was showing up in my Google search that I'd already searched it. And I was like, hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We had already done it. But no, fresh, fresh topic. Fresh topic. And I think we should get to our question because we've got a lot to cover. Absolutely. Spoons. What are they? Well, uh, a spoon is a type of cutlery piece uh, featuring a small bowl attached to a handle. They 
come in pretty much infinite sizes and shapes of both bowl and handle and are used in cooking and eating to stir uh, like, a, like a paddle and to scoop, um, especially with foods that are liquid or granular in form. Um, you know, any, anything that would be fussy or tricksy to pierce with a fork or knife or to, uh, to pluck with chopsticks or tongs. It's like a, it's like a bowl that you don't have to get your hand that close to the food in order to use. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, it's not like that. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a really simple, really applicable tool. Um, Cooking spoons tend to be larger with longer handles, often about a foot from uh, tip of bowl to tip of handle. That's about a third of a meter. Uh, commonly made of durable and heat-resistant materials like wood, plastics, ceramics, or metals like stainless steel. Um, within the cooking category, you've also got specialty spoons for like measuring volume, for ladling, for straining, etc. Dining spoons, uh, tablespoons, can come in many specific and specialty forms, but tend to be... Um, half of that size or less, half the size or less of a, of a cooking spoon, and are most commonly made of plastics, ceramics, or metals. These can be like a little fancier, but are still most often durable and inexpensive. Some specialty shapes include dessert spoons, which are smaller, drink spoons, which are longer, grapefruit spoons, which have teeth along the edge of the bowl. Very dangerous, um, <laughs> if you're me. Uh, <laughs> You're already eating something that's quite acidic. And so like, oh, you can just, you, there's all kinds of accidents just waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. um, soup spoons that have deeper bowls, uh, baby spoons that are smaller and grippable, again, etc. cetera. Uh, and serving spoons are kind of a whole subcategory here. Like over the course of human history, people have invented just a lot of types of, of scoopy serving ware. Um, sugar spoons, salt spoons, caviar spoons, um, demitas or espresso spoons. These are more likely as a whole to be made with more expensive um, and more embellished materials, uh, fancy woods, precious metals, bone or shell, uh, porcelain, stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. There's so many, there's so many rabbit holes we could go down because now I'm curious about tablespoons history of that measurement. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I originally I was looking into measuring spoons and cups, but it it's really I think it's going to be a sticky, a sticky mm. re reading episode. So I was kind of like, no, <laughs> that's our <laughs> list for later. <laughs> but also I keep introducing people to uh, the HBO Max show, Our Flag Means Death, with the episode yes. that has a serving spoon kind of fiasco situation because <laughs> it's my favorite one. So <laughs> I can appreciate it. I've been at a table before and there's like 17 spoons and I don't know what to do. <laughs> Generally, a uh, cheat code is you move from the outside to the inside. Uh. But, but on which side? <laughs> now, out, what's at the top? <laughs> oh, those are for later. Those are for later. Those are for those after. Those are for later. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. During the main courses, it's outside to inside. Okay. And then what's up top is usually for later. I can't imagine a situation I will be in in the near future where this will come up. But thank you, Lauren, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> but, to be fair, that is a very, uh, a very bird's eye um, concept. I mean, I'm sure I, I don't, I never, I'm not polite. I'm a, I'm a goblin. I never invite me to a fancy dinner. 
Didn't you and I recently have a long-ish conversation about the difference between goblin and gremlin? At least you're uh, <laughs> the goblin's the nicer one, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <So>. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, goodness. This is what we talk about, listeners, uh, in our spare time. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. huh, um, okay. Uh, there, there's also a whole category of spoons. We're still doing an episode about spoons um, that that aren't really meant for eating or cooking with. Um, uh, collectible spoons. Yeah. And especially, perhaps, souvenir spoons. These are often on the small end of dining spoons, around like three to five inches long. That's about seven to 12 centimeters. These are um, typically metal, um, often made from or plated with precious metals like silver and then embossed and or engraved and or painted or otherwise uh, decorated with scenes or designs commemorating an event or location or person or people. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Well, what about the nutrition? You know, okay, usually you don't eat spoons, but but actually I've got a whole note later in the history outline about edible spoons. So I guess proceed with caution. Um. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. That sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> we do have some numbers for you. Oh, we do. Um, the cutlery industry as a whole is worth about a billion dollars a year. Um, There are a number of spoon-related world records. Um, The world record for most spoons balanced on the face is 31. Um, That was achieved in Serbia in 2013. The record for most spoons balanced on the body is 85. Um, which was achieved in Iran just this year, 2022. Um, The photos of this are really spectacular. It looks like this gentleman has like a little, like a little spoon capelet. It's, it's very fetching. Ooh, I mean, spoon records being broken all the time. You know, fantastic. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) The most expensive spoon in the world sold at auction for $32,500 in 2021. It's a silver spoon made circa 1790 by Paul Revere Jr. Um, yes, the son of that Paul Revere. Paul Revere was a silversmith. He taught the trade to his son, and his son is like the most of uh, famous silversmith in American history. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and as... As we're going to get into further in the history section, um, that collectible spoon market is like a whole thing. Um, And although most souvenir spoons are worth less than $60, um, some go for thousands. Uh, Apparently ones with handles that are shaped like stuff and ones with um, enameled or otherwise decorated bowls are like fetch the highest prices. They're the most popular with collectors. Uh, and the collections are wild. Um, one woman has over a thousand Niagara Falls spoons. The Lambert Castle Museum in New Jersey is home to the world's largest collection of spoons, over 5,400 of them, um, compiled by a woman by the name of Bertha Schaefer Kempel during her travels in the early to mid 1900s. Wow. Yeah. I want to check that out. 
they usually only have like about like 25 of them on display at any given time. Um, mm. But, you know, I wonder I wonder if we could like call them up and be like, hey, <laughs> you think we have that clout? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Lauren, what are you talking about? We got that good spoon clout, you know. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I love it. I do want to. I didn't get to spend as much time as I wanted looking at these collectible souvenir spoons. So that that is something on my list. That is definitely um, like the rabbit hole, the visual rabbit hole of the week. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's fascinating how they came to be such a big phenomenon at one point, and we're going to get into that in the history section. Goodness, we are. Uh, but first, we are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, uh, other than knives, spoons are thought to be the first utensils humans invented, or I don't know if invented is the right term, but like found things, items they could use. (laughs) Yeah. That acted in that function. Sure. 
Tools. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, after our ancestors figured out stabbing of things, <laughs> they needed a tool for scooping of things. Sure. Um, and the shape of the spoon was most likely modeled after the shape of a human hand when it scoops something like water, but it is ideally more sanitary than actually using your hand. Ideally. Ideally. Yes. Tracing the early history of the spoon is tricky, um, but the fossil record indicates that our Neanderthal relatives may have used items like shells, chips of wood, or bones as rudimentary spoons. And it's really interesting, the etymology, because uh, you've got some twists and turns in there, but you can see the roots of some of these in, in various languages. Uh, the term for spoon might mean, might have been used for the same word for like a chip, a wood chip or something. So. Oh, sure. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The oldest known evidence of spoons that fall under our more modern understanding of them dates back to ancient Egypt, circa 1000 BCE. Because of the materials used to make these spoons, things like ivory and slate, and because of their designs, often including hieroglyphics, historians suspect that these spoons might have been used for rituals. However, wood was often frequently used to make spoons when the intended use was as an eating utensil. However, the wealthy in ancient Rome and Greece frequently used spoons made of bronze and silver, as was the case in Europe up until the Middle Ages. As far as we know, the first documented reference of spoons in England took place in 1259 CE when the coronation of British kings involved anointing them with a ceremonial spoon. Also around this time, spoons of pewter became common for those in the lower classes. I was reading that spoons were a thing in uh, in Britain that had been brought up with the Romans and that like that's kind of the first time. But I'm not sure how. Anyway, I don't know. Um, uh, over the next century or so, bronze and brass and sheet tin were also becoming common for the lower classes. But using your hands was still acceptable in most of Britain at the time. Um, that would change around the 1500s when a few books on table manners were published in England, um, and that's when serving and eating spoons, especially made of silver, came into wide use, um, especially for the upper classes, but then uh, uh, moving on down. Yeah. Yes, and then in England from the 1400s to the 1600s, spoons became somewhat of a status symbol when so-called apostle spoons became christening gifts among the well-off, and fancy spoons, both in design and material, were an indicator of wealth. In fact, the wealthiest folks often were gifted with a set of 12 spoons and then later 13, the 13th being the so-called master spoon. Uh, Yeah. This whole thing led to a tradition of christening spoons with the wealthy gifting spoons made of silver or gold, while the lower classes gifted spoons of copper or brass. Uh, The phrase born with a silver spoon in their mouth, uh, meaning to be born into a rich and privileged family, is believed to have come from this practice, though it didn't pop up in print until much later, and I believe in the United States first. Hmm. But um, that's where they think it comes from. It was also customary in medieval Europe to have your initials engraved on a spoon. Up through like the 20th century, um, it was pretty common for people to own and carry personal cutlery sets, um, especially when traveling. And so, right, engraving your initials on them would have been uh, kind of a no-brainer. Right. Beginning in the 1800s, a European fad of collecting souvenir spoons 
absolutely took off, uh, thanks largely to American tourists who would purchase these spoons with the names of uh, cities or landmarks they visited engraved on them. And I have one. My grandparents, uh, they went to London when I was like, I don't know, eight or nine, and they came back and they gave me a spoon. I think it has Buckingham (laughs) Palace on it. I still have it. I tried to find it because I recently visited my mom and it's, it's somewhere about there. I couldn't find it, but I remember it because I was like, why is the spoon in this case? And it's so small. (laughs) Eight-year-old me didn't get it. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Um, Okay. This The souvenir spoon thing was part of a bunch of other cultural moments because um, the Industrial Revolution brought a whole lot of advancements in metallurgy, um, including mining and producing silver, uh, molding and stamping metals, and electroplating. And this really expanded the availability of silver and other precious metals. Um, And at a time when an urban middle class was developing purchasing power. I, I get the idea that because spoons were this traditional gift, producers and consumers just glommed onto that. Um, throughout the 1800s, the silver baby spoon was also changing due to changing attitudes toward children. Previously, children had been thought of as just small adults. And thus, these gift spoons for for babies were just small spoons with, like, small versions of adult designs. But there was this movement um, to redefine kids as being like learning, growing human beings with their own sets of needs during the 1800s. Um, And these baby spoons developed too, um, becoming redesigned for easier grip and decorated with like Mother Goose rhymes and other newfangled children's cultural staples. Um, We've talked about this some in our uh, uh, Brothers Grimm episodes and uh, Lewis Carroll, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, By 1889, souvenir spoons were being produced in the U.S., first by Galt and Brothers of Washington, D.C., with their offering of a spoon featuring George Washington's profile in honor of the 100th anniversary of his presidency. Okay. Okay. A Martha Washington spoon became available soon after. In 1890 or around about there, one of the most famous souvenir spoons ever designed fueled a national obsession with souvenir spoons that it endured until World War I. Okay, so I want you to take a pause. <laughs> I want you to guess what you think this spoon depicted. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Got it in mind? Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, okay, so after a visit to Germany in 1890 that involved the purchase of several unusual souvenir spoons, <laughs> jeweler Seth F. Lowe returned to the U.S. and designed one of his own for his father's company. He described the design as depicting, quote, the raised figure of a witch, the word Salem, and the three witch pins of the same size and shape as those preserved in the courthouse at Salem. Huh. Yeah. Salem witch spoon. Okay. Is that what you thought? No. Nope. What did you think? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I assumed something patriotic. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't know, like a, like a famous building or like a bell or like a rock, maybe. I, I'm not. <laughs> I know what you mean, but that's, that sounds funny. A yeah. rock. <laughs> <laughs> like a famous rock, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, I got you. <laughs> it just sounded funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I'm with you. I didn't really have a specific uh, thing in mind, yeah. but I had like a patriotic vein. I was not expecting no. Salem Witch Spoon. No, I I mean, but I love this. I love that I love that everyone <laughs> I love that everyone's always been into into spooky stuff. That's great. That's <laughs> Spooky, spoony stuff. Um, (laughs) Well, Uh, (laughs) uh, yes, I did not see that coming, but uh, Lowe trademarked the design in 1891 and went on to sell several thousand spoons. Um, They are are still being traded on the collector's market, by the way. They are worth about $100 today. Dang. Okay, well, this whole thing led to a massive bump in interest for these collectible spoons, <laughs> these souvenir spoons in the in this country. In 1890, the U.S. only produced and sold a handful of them, but in less than two years, hundreds of designs were being produced across the country, showcasing cities, historical figures, and important events. As part of this, books about collecting these spoons were published, which I love. Um, yeah. And at the 1893 Chicago World Fair, this fair really boosted their profile. Um, According to some sources, more souvenir spoons were produced for this event than any other in history. An estimated 27 million visitors were exposed to these spoons. I couldn't really get a sense of, like, how many. They they produced the most. I'm assuming most of them got taken by these visitors, but I couldn't Mm -hmm. get a good handle on that. But that's a lot of people seeing these spoons, potentially. Yeah. Yes. At the same time, the U.S. was in a period of industrialization, experiencing a growth of wealth, allowing for more spoons to be produced more efficiently and for more people to buy them. On top of that, the silver market collapsed in the early 1890s, making it more affordable for Americans to buy commemorative silver spoons. For three decades following this, uh, pretty much every major event offered a souvenir spoon, but World War I really decimated the interest in and ability to offer these spoons, Um, which is just fascinating to me. Yeah. Because that's not a thing that... Like, other than my grandparents giving me that one spoon, uh, it's just not something I've been exposed to. Yeah, I I mean, I guess I've I've been I've been in touristy places in a gift shop and have witnessed a spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I certainly Mm -hmm. wasn't like, yes, that's a thing I'm going to purchase. Mm -hmm. So I never really paid that much attention to it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I feel like the next time that we do like an Orlando um, theme park trip, we need to look oh out my. for this kind of thing. Um, I also oh. I feel like y- you at theme parks are busy, like maximizing the number of rides that you can go on. And I'm <laughs> looking at literally everything in every gift shop going like, hmm, do I have a yeah. friend who needs this overpriced trinket? <laughs> That's why we work so well together. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just text you and be like, have you found, do I need to make my way to a store? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, they have spoons, Annie. (laughs) (laughs) And I would understand. (laughs) Oh, heck. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, with further developments in uh, material science, and specifically with plastics around World War II, uh, plastic spoons were developed in the 1940s. Um, By the 1950s, 
inexpensive, mass-produced, and even disposable spoons and other cutlery were being produced. Um, the development of disposable cutlery coincided with, uh, with the growth of fast food joints in America and, and also with the um, conspicuous consumption and convenience cultures of 1950s suburbia. So they really took off. Um, certainly, though, um, other plastic spoons were meant to be more permanent, um, you know, beautiful, colorful, durable pieces in shapes and sizes that are easy to do with molded plastic, but would be pretty expensive in any other medium. Um, and this this included the expanding category of uh, children's dinnerware, going back to baby spoons again. Um, though, a, though a silver spoon might still be an, an early gift, kids from like the late 1900s on have often eaten with a large, lightweight, soft-edged, colorful, often co-branded, um, inexpensive plasticware. Yes. Actually, my younger brother, whom I was very jealous of when he was born. Oh. He had a super cool Mickey Mouse balloon spoon, and oh. I wanted it. I coveted it. <laughs> ah. Oh, wow. All right. Yes. Oh, I still remember it. I was like four years old. I remember the spoon. <laughs> I think the only novelty spoon, I, I don't I don't think I had any growing up, or if I have, I've forgotten them, but I do have one. I have like a like a lightsaber spoon from <gasps> from when the um uh when the prequels came out. Uh it does not Covet light up as well. it does not light up anymore. <laughs> it certainly does not. I definitely washed it at some point. Um but yeah. Yeah. Um jealous. <laughs> jealous. Uh I guess there's still time for me. Oh, but yeah. uh we, we should talk about uh, plastic spoons and plastic cutlery in general have done some massive damage to the planet. Yeah. Um, as of 2019, disposable cutlery was a $2.6 billion a year business. Um, and plastic utensils were the seventh most collected plastic trash on beaches, just for example. Um, more than 100 million were being used in the U.S. every day. Um, they're difficult to recycle, can take a thousand years to decompose, and many are made with types of plastic that can release harmful compounds when they're exposed to heat. Uh, so not great, not great all around. Um, and uh, some some countries and other municipalities have been working on uh, uh, either banning them or um, diminishing their use. Uh, France was the first country to ban plastic cutlery in 2016. As one alternative, and as promised earlier, um, there is edible cutlery made of starchy stuff like corn or wheat bran. Um, and uh, the market for it is growing. Apparently, as of 2018, um, it was worth more than uh, $22.6 million a year, um, with spoons being the largest segment at about 35% of that market. They are the easiest to manufacture due to the relatively simple shape. Um, some of these are even um, flavored with things like uh, like black pepper to complement like, uh, like bland airline food or what have you. Yeah, I think I've seen these in the... Um... Kind of hiking, camping space. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah. And I we've talked before about uh, another thing I've seen in recent years when you order delivery. Now there's that option to be like, please do not send so much plastic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I'm eating this at my house. I have I think the only time the only time I've ever not gotten it um, automatically was when I happened to be helping a dear friend move into her new place and (laughs) she did not have a speck of cutlery in there. And and the like the like delivery Indian feast that we ordered oh, no. <laughs> had zero oh, no. <laughs> zero cutlery. Um, oh no! <laughs> there was a lot of strategic non usage that evening. Oh yes, <laughs> nice <laughs> edible spoon. Right, yeah. right. Goodness. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, th- this is this is bouncing around a little bit in the timeline of the past uh, twenty years or so, twenty thirty years. But um, but a couple cultural notes to end us on. So um. <laughs> The um, the surreal andor parody comic book series, The Tick, um, aforementioned, uh, later a cartoon, later a live action show, um, began as a comic store newsletter shtick in the late 80s. Um, and the superhero's famous battle cry was first written in issue number seven, originally published in 1990. And if I might quote, so... Um, the, the Tick and his trusty sidekick, Arthur, are, are sitting, enjoying a meal. And the Tick has a spoon. And he just suddenly goes, spoon! Arthur says, are you all right? I'm fine, Arthur. Spoon! I like the word. It's got a nice ring to it. Henceforth, it will be my battle cry. You're what? My battle cry, the cry I emit just prior to leaping into battle. I'm a grizzled veteran of superhero battles now. I need something catchy to yell out during them. Something that will endear me to the public. Spoon? (laughs) And, yeah, with that, with that, a battle cry was born. I have to say... If I heard someone just cry out spoon, it would get my attention. <laughs> I don't think I'd feel fear. I think it'd be a general, like, confused air. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe later in the issue when they are, you know, doing battle, right, the, the tick screams mm. spoon. And uh, and the bad guy is like, what? And then gets, like, like clotheslined. So... I mean, confusion. Effective. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it, he's not wrong. It's a good word. I like it. <laughs> oh, heck. Um, uh, other cultural notes. Um, the band Spoon formed in 1993. The Matrix uh, came out in 99 and introduced everyone to write Spoon Boy and the There Is No Spoon. Um, and the essay uh, The Spoon Theory, written by Christine Miserandino. Um, was published in 2003. And this is the idea that um, that people with chronic illnesses um, and other disabilities have like a limited number of metaphorical spoons at their disposal every day. And every task that they do requires the use of a spoon. And sometimes you just run out of spoons and um, there's nothing you can do about it. And you need to rest to replenish your, um, your spoon supply. Oh. Yeah. I haven't heard of that. I'll have to look more into that one. 
Um, and then I meant to look this up, and then I didn't. I forgot. But uh, spooning, uh, in terms of the cuddling, okay, uh, yeah, between two people who are laying on their sides. You know, you got your big spoon, your little spoon. Um, apparently, this has been around longer than I would have guessed, according to a quick search. Um, <laughs> that this might have started in the 17th century in Wales, um, which involved spooning involved a love spoon, an intricately wooden spoon given by a young suitor to a woman. Um, huh. Yeah. So again, kind of playing on that, like this was when the, that gifting of spoons huh. was popular. So from there, that might have influenced the term. The spooning. term, yeah. Uh, which was any type of affectionate or flirtatious behavior uh, and then became kind of this like nestling laying alongside each other. So interesting. I thought that was a fairly recent. Yeah, I would have assumed that was very recent, but uh, but huh, cool. The So it is like in our more recent term is like the 20th century, but it has a long history of being associated with sort of flirtatious huh. or... Uh, Love activity. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a weird episode. This one has, I'm telling you, we have gone all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. Um, it, has, it has a lot of things that I love. Uh, a big fad of collecting spoons um, that had a surprise uh, home run in there of the Salem Witch Trial Spoon. <laughs> Uh, movies and the tick which I haven't thought about in a long time a band which I'm convinced I've heard at least one song from but I can't recall what it is I think it's likely I suspect you have I suspect so uh, I'm gonna look into it afterwards because I feel like there's one song in the back of my brain that's like no you used to love this song <laughs> but I can't remember what it is <laughs> Uh, and the, again, all in an episode about a, a fairly simple utensil. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I can't wait. Listeners, if you've got these spoons, these collectible spoons, you have to send us pictures, notes. We've got to know. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. I need every collectible spoon story you've got. Yes, yes. In the meantime, that's what we have to say about spoons for now. It is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with the Snowmail! It's like the cheesy superhero voice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I can't. I used to play the Tick video game. I want to know if anybody else remembers that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, cool. That's that's an episode we should do. The video games inspired by that these companies have put out that are just inspired by food and selling huh. us food. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. I don't know if the tick was specifically trying to sell us spoons, but who knows? I- <laughs> Could have been. <laughs> I love that idea. I love so much the idea of someone being like, "All right, you know, you know what we can really push in the in the children's in the children's <laughs> commerce market? Spoons. <laughs> what can we do for it? The tick. Obviously, <laughs> it's clear. <laughs> I like I said, I wanted my little brother's spoon. I still remember it. So Yeah, clearly, clearly this is this is I think you're touching on something. There's I think. a there's a whole spoon zeitgeist out there that is possibly <laughs> underdeveloped. That's true. That's true. Mm. All right. Uh Kristen wrote <laughs> I was listening to my local international food store's podcast a few months ago. The topic was on local aquaponics company, Root House Aquaponics. I would love to learn more on this topic. I've included a link to the podcast. If you ever decide to come to Cincinnati, Jungle Gyms is a must-stop foodie paradise. What other grocery store has a podcast studio in the middle of it? Oh, that's so cool. That is cool. And I am fascinated with aquaponics, so. Oh, yeah. I definitely would love to talk about that. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely added to our 
added to our list. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I think that there should be podcast studios everywhere. I'm still really enchanted with that time that I freaked out the podcasters who were who were working in um, that local pizza place. Yeah, yeah. There's a pizza place in Brooklyn with. The local food station. Oh, man, I'm totally forgetting the name of it right now. Anyway, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to take pictures of the studio. And they were like, curtain close. I was like, oh, <laughs> sorry, buddies. That's, I'm here for podcast convention. That's all right. Thanks. Um, that, it was pretty good. It was pretty great. It was. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. whew, um, Bart wrote, I take my coffee very seriously. So I really loved your recent instant coffee episode. For a little context, this is what my kitchen counter looks like. There's a regular kettle for tea, a temperature-controlled one for coffee, two burr grinders so I can have espresso and regular beans available at all times, and an array of coffee makers, including a well-worn AeroPress, a well-loved mocha pot, a stainless steel French press I've broken so many glass ones, and a ceramic filter holder for pour-overs. It probably comes as no surprise that I looked down my nose at instant coffee for years. But a few years ago, that changed when I discovered flavored artisanal instant coffees. No instant coffee can taste as good as a fresh brew. So I found a small UK company that doesn't fight that fact, but leans in by adding a dazzling array of flavors. We always have two jars open at home, one I pick and one my hubby picks. And now that I'm back in the office half-time, I have a third open in my desk drawer. Right now, I'm enjoying chocolate orange at work. My home pick is Christmas pudding, and my hubby's pick is Turkish delight. Tasty coffee in seconds that even a coffee snob can love. I love modern tech. Wow. Yep. Oh, fascinating. (laughs) I know. We didn't touch too much on the artisanal stuff. We did a little bit, but this this is interesting. It sounds delicious. Yeah. Because huh. I, I generally look down my nose at flavored coffees, but mm. A, I like chocolate orange and Turkish delight are two of my favorite things. And I kind of want to try a coffee that tastes like those. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hmm. really, really intrigued by this. I, I love this too. I love the... You've got your work coffee, yeah. home coffee, because I, th- I think we can relate, Lauren. I, I have my like, oh, yeah. fancy coffee and my like, I'm in a hurry <laughs> coffee. Like I have all these different. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I usually like I usually grind my own beans. Like if it's a special occasion, I have other beans that I might grind and I might mm-hmm. use them in a French press instead of a pour over. Like my two roommates both really use the coffee machine so like if I'm making coffee for all of us that's what I use it's a whole I do also usually keep like a tin of like cafe Bustelo somewhere on hand in case I just really need that like whoof like right to your eyeballs like kind of yeah 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 I it's funny because as I mentioned I for a long time I would just drink I just need the caffeine and the taste was sort of secondary (laughs) I've sort of moved away from there but I had a friend who would come over she hated the coffee options I had to the point she <laughs> bought me a coffee machine. Uh, and now I bought my mom a coffee machine because she doesn't drink coffee, but her <laughs> she has like packets that have gone, like the crystals have clumped together. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. So uh-huh. I was like, I'm going to buy this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it here. So the circle is complete. Uh. The, the coffee circle. <laughs> uh. <laughs> But yes, um, 
Loving hearing all of these coffee thoughts. So good. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, we would love to hear from you. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.